Today we start a new series titled Ancestry.com, Who is Jesus? Uh, we're going to be working through the first few chapters of Matthew's Gospel. And there's a whole lot of uh, material setting up and answering, helping us answer the question of who is Jesus? Where does he come from? How does he fit into the whole biblical story? So let me pray for us and then we'll get stuck into the genealogy. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we're not people in isolation, but you make us as people in relationship, that you are a God of relationships uh, and ultimately you're a God who wants us to be in right relationship with you. Father, as we look at the ancestry DNA of Jesus, we ask that you help us to understand and see how Jesus is the one who fulfills your promises and in whom we can have trust and certainty for the salvation from our sins and life everlasting. Please help us this morning as we look at this passage together and grow us by your spirit. Amen. It's becoming popular for people these days to explore their ancestry DNA, to track back into your history, discover maybe what ethnic makeup there is in your family and work out the who's who of your family tree. And these opening chapters do a lot of that investigation into Jesus and his ancestry DNA and particularly here with this genealogy. Now the basics are there in verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, for the first readers of Matthew's Gospel, uh, imagine you're you're sitting around the the dining room table. You've just gone and got the big envelope with all the information from your ancestry DNA check, and you open it up, and what you've got there is this first century Jew is Matthew's Gospel. You would read this first line, and you'd probably stop there, and the pages would drop in shock and disbelief. Wow, I didn't expect that. Here is this opening line that ties together 1,500 years or so of history, of the history of your people. Who's done an ancestry check and made it back to First Fleet or for the the late 1700s, early 1800s in Australia? A couple people. Pretty exciting when you get back to there. I don't know if... This is taking and setting this envelope, this this DNA, going back 1,500 plus years into the history of the people of Israel. There's a show on SBS called Who Do You Think You Are? And they get celebrities and they explore the ancestry uh, of them with, go through their family tree with them and and discover things. And there's, there's usually the moment in the show of disbelief. The bombshell when they find out of, you know, this terrible rotten scoundrel in their history. Line one isn't a terrible horrible scandal, but it is a bombshell. Jesus, the carpenter's son from Nazareth, the one that was crucified outside Jerusalem not that long ago, the one they say rose again, he was the Messiah. 
the promised anointed king of the Jews that we've been looking forward to expectantly for over a thousand years. The son of David, the one who would reign on his throne forever. The son of Abraham, the inheritor of God's great promises to to make for himself a people into a great nation that would, would bring blessing to all the other nations around them as they resided in a land of their own. That's his, all in this first line. So the mention of Abraham and of David is huge. All the key promises God made to his people were, were centred around Abraham and David, those two, those two great figures. And those promises shaped the history of their descendants, shaped the history of the people of Israel. The promises made to Abraham and David Uh, Those promises in themselves have their own history. This first line makes an enormous claim. The history of the promises of God to his people all come together, all funneled down into the coming of Jesus. The descendant of Abraham and David, the one called the Messiah or the Christ, You've read line one, this is an episode not to be missed if you're the first century Jew going, what's happened to the promises of God? What's happened to us as a nation? Because when you look back through those thousand years, uh, the history of Israel has been a pretty sad one. Damo read to us the promise of 2 Samuel 7. It's the promise that David would have a king that would sit on his throne and reign forever. Well, that hasn't been fulfilled. Kings have come and kings have gone, but it looks much more like the promises have failed. Now, there was a golden age in the time of David the king and his son Solomon. It looked like the promises were being fulfilled. They were rich, they were wealthy, they had peace. But for the past thousand years, nothing of that prosperity Things pretty much have been like a Wall Street crash. And so rather than Israel being a blessing to the nations, as God promised to Abraham, they've been overrun by the surrounding nations for centuries. Uh, The nations who are often called Gentiles are, are more like a curse to Israel rather than Israel being a blessing to them. Despite the great promise of a forever king in 2 Samuel 7, there hasn't been a king on the throne of Israel for a couple of hundred years. So Israel in the days when Matthew wrote this gospel, there was a king, but he was the Roman king. They called him Caesar. They even stuck his head on the coins so you knew that he was the one in charge, that, that Rome ruled. You'd have to pick this up as a first century Jew going, what happened? What went wrong? Apparently, if you go back to my great-great-grandfather, has anyone, the De Beers Diamond Mining Company, heard of that? My great-great-grandfather was chairman of De Beers Mining Company, apparently. Where's all my wealth gone? What's happened? What went wrong, right? 
when you find out that, I'm still trying to work out all the proof to that, but, you know, apparently we're related to Colonel Sir David Harris, who was the, the chairman. But as far as I understand, my great-grandfather, he was the black sheep of the family. Why would you be black sheep of that family? Anyway, enough of my whinging. As a first century Jew, you're going, what happened? How could it, it ended up like this? Where's the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and David? There's been some glorious things in our history. Remember that time in Egypt 1,500 years ago when God sent all those plagues on, on, on Egypt and finally all the firstborn children died but not ours because we had the blood of our lambs over the door and then we went and they, the army chased us and we got to the sea and we're, oh no, what's going to happen? And then God parted the sea, we walked through on dry ground and then it closed up over the Egyptian army. What happened to the God that did that? What happened to all these promises? So the ancestry DNA test that turns up here as Matthew, the start of Matthew's gospel leads them into a, a sad history. But it is line one. The question is, do you have the courage to go on, uh, to dig deeper, to probe further, to, to believe again, to hope that God might again remember his promises, that he might bring about their fulfillment? So that great day when they got out of Egypt and the, the through the Red Sea. That was 400 years, a couple of hundred years after the promises to Abraham to make you a great nation. They'd spent a hundred years as slaves. God had kept his promises. Now the last third of the Old Testament, the bit we talk about as being the prophets, they were speaking to Israel when they were in decline, when they were rebelling against God and things were taking a nosedive. But the prophets kept trying to lift their eyes to keep hope alive that God is true to his word and will fulfill his promises. And so if you've been listening to the prophets and you read Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, could it be that even though our nation has failed, the promises of God look like they're in tatters, are they still very much alive? Could they come together in Jesus, the carpenter's son from Nazareth, who was crucified outside Jerusalem. Well, for those who have ears to hear, who are prepared to read on, the bombshell's been dropped, but there it is full of hope and expectancy in the midst of a history of sadness and failure. Now, how do we go about working that out? We look through the genealogy. We trace the ancestry. Now, I actually have discovered that I'm very connected to this area. There's an Englishman in our family line who is on my mum's mum's side. And uh, he was uh, part of the Leicestershire Regiment in England. And he and 42 other mates decided to go AWOL and uh, nick off from the army. 42 of them, they got caught, or at least he did. He was tried and was sentenced to seven years in jail. Before he went to prison, he was offered a get-out-of-jail-free card, or sort of. He could come and be a redcoat in Sydney Cove, come and be a soldier out in the new colony, which he did. 
Uh, eventually, he got given a parcel of land for his services around the area of Rickaby's Creek, which is just out here at Londonderry. He lived and died out on Londonderry Road. As I was checking things with mum and checking stories with mum, um, I also found out that go back a few generations and there was a guy called Richard Moxham who lived in this area, again, I think on Londonderry Road. There's a street just out there where half of us have parked our cars. Easy, my, my family as well. So that street's mine. And um, <laughs> Londonderry to Windsor, that's, I got putting land right claims in for that as well. Now, on Dad's side, well, this is all I can tell you going back on the history of Dad's side. I am the son of the son of a carpenter. Son of a carpenter, Jesus. The other one was my grandmother, Nan. She was famous in Parramatta. In the 60s and 70s, she worked at David Jones. She was the donut lady in Parramatta in the 60s and 70s. Anyone have donuts from David Jones in the 60s and 70s in Parramatta? Yeah. Don't laugh. Auntie Anne remembers Auntie my Nan. That was a big deal back then, wasn't it? More importantly than my family tree. What about Jesus? What bits and pieces do we find in his family tree? Now, to be honest, who is, does anyone like this family tree business? Okay. My notes say, let's be honest, for 95% of us, a family tree, a genealogy is up there with statistics and financial reports. Four people put up their hands for genealogies. Statistics and financial reports? <laughs> Looks like it's about 98% of us like, don't like those. Genealogies are more popular. <laughs> God has this genealogy in the Bible for our good. This one helps us see the continuity between the Old and the New Testament. Remember, where did Sarah say this page is? What's the page before Matthew chapter 1? The page left intentionally blank. What's the page before that? The last page of the... Old Testament. This is where the New Testament starts. And so it's actually a link between the Old and the New Testament. It prepares us to look for how will the God of the Old Testament fulfill his promises as we move into the New. And particularly, how will he fulfill his promises in the person of Jesus? Which is part of tying together for us who God is and equipping us for the good works that he has in store for us as his people today. Now, in the most part, genealogies follow this simple pattern, particularly these old-day genealogies. It's the boring pattern. A is the father of B. B is the father of C. C is the... And it just goes on, right, like that. But there's moments where the pattern is broken. That's the time to pay attention it's not because I don't understand, can't say the names through there and I haven't listened to Bible Gateway to work them out. But you want to pay attention where the pattern is broken. They're the bits that tie it into the rest of the Bible, particularly in this one. These are the bits that mark out the hope that the great promises to Abraham and David, the promises tied to the Messiah, are tied into Jesus. And the parts that break the pattern tied into the hope that God will fulfill his promises. So here are the five 
breaks to the pattern. The first one is in verse 2 and verse 11. Uh, you notice uh, verse 2 talks about, mentions Judah. Verse 11, it mentions Jeconiah. And after each of those, it says, and his brothers. Now, Judah and his brothers, they were the heads of the tribes making up the nation of Israel. Right at the very start of the nation. Jeconiah and his brothers, they come at the time of the exile. Right? They were the royal line right at the end of the nation's life when Israel would go into exile. And so this little and his brothers ties Jesus to the nation of Israel. And not just Jesus to one particular little line, but it's tying it into the whole of Israel and therefore all the promises that were made to Israel and the expectations for that people. The second thing, this is one people and people who write books love to talk about. The four Old Testament, and I'll put it in inverted commas, women. In a world where family inheritance passed through the males, the presence of women in a genealogy was unusual. This one refers to four Old Testament women as well as Mary, Jesus' mother. Now, when you read closely, there's actually only three women directly mentioned. Bathsheba, the fourth one, is indirectly mentioned. It's, it's spoke, she's spoken of as the wife of Uriah. As you look at those four references, Ruth, Tamar, Rahab, and the wife of Uriah, what's the thing that ties them all together? Well, Uriah was a Gentile, so was Rahab, so was Ruth, so was Tamar. The Gentiles are the non-Jews, the people who are outside of Israel, supposedly outside the promises of God, yet in those four people, they're grafted in to the people of God. And not just grafted in, but here they are, These unclean foreigners have a place, a noted place, in the line of the Messiah. So this break with the four Old Testament women tied Jesus not just to Israel, as we saw with the end his brothers, but also to all the nations. The Messiah is to be king over all nations. And God's always been fulfilling his promises. He's always been drawing people in as part of his gracious purposes to save. The third break of the pattern is with David. Can you see the odd word there in verse 6? It's not really an odd word, it's just only in there once. King. Uh, There's there's quite a number of kings in that list. David, in verse 6, is said to be King David. Why pick him out and say King David? Well, he was the one who received the promises that he would have a king who would reign forever. By saying King David is to draw your attention back to that, to the messianic promises, the promises of the Christ, the promises of God's anointed who would rule over the nations. You hear me jumping between Messiah and Christ? Messiah is a Hebrew word. Christ is a Greek word. And they both mean the anointed king, God's anointed king. Jesus, the Messiah, is David's son. The family tree we have here stresses Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one 
who inherits and fulfills the promises God made to David. You can look to him. He is going to be the one who will rule forever. And as you go through the next 20, 27 and a half chapters, the question is, how is this one going to rule and reign on David's throne? How will he become a king who reigns forever? Again, the prophets kept holding out the hope of this Davidic figure. And here in chapter 1, Matthew's saying, those promises, here's the guy to look at. Here's the one to pay attention to. Here's the one who's going to be the king of the kingdom. He's making big connections with God's promises of the past into Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one whose reign will last forever. So pay attention to him. The fourth break in the pattern is the exile. Genealogies are about people, aren't they? It's a family tree type thing. The exile is not a people. It's an event. And given the exile is not an event to be celebrated, it was Israel's sort of worst national disaster, that's a big break to the pattern of the genealogy. Why is it in here? Right, if it, this would be that moment where they get horrified in that who do you think you are program and go and see this horrible uh, skeleton in the closet, this horrible event that took place where the celebrities get all emotional and the voices get lower and slower. And that would be the initial feeling for a Jew seeing reference to the exile. Because things had gone bad, got to the exile, totally belly up. And notice it's, it's mentioned three times through this genealogy. So they keep harping on it. The exile, the exile, the exile. And so it's important to ask why. What does it add to the story, the history of Jesus the Messiah? How does it tie Jesus to the Old Testament? And how does it set up the New Testament? There's three sections to the genealogy, and we'll hit that in the next point. 14, 14, 14. Abraham to David, the first section, the promises of land, offspring, and blessing. The second, David to the exile. David, or from David onwards, King David, it's this promise of the Messiah who will reign forever. And so it starts to look up, then goes bad. And then the last 14 is the exile up to Jesus. And it looks like the promises have failed. Yet here comes Jesus. Could it be the glorious return of God's people? Could it be that he's going to gather back together God's people? Which brings us to the last break in the pattern of the genealogy, Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The genealogy has been going and moving towards the birth of Jesus. And when you hit verse 16... The whole pattern thing is just wrecked completely. Everything you expect is, is, is turned on its head. Look at, at verse 16. The first bit, Jacob the father of Joseph. That's normal, right? That's what you expect. A is the father of B. But then it says the husband of, Ma- the husband of Mary. That's not normal. It would be if Mary got mentioned... It would be Jacob, the father of Joseph, whose wife was Mary. Joseph here is being defined by Mary, not the other way around. 
That's odd. And Mary was the mother of Jesus. That's not normal either. Jesus has been defined by his relationship to his mother, not Joseph, who you expected to be called the father. And then one more abnormality is the last bit. Jesus, who is called the Messiah. He's been given his title. All, right. All that break, Matthew wants us to be clear, something different is going on. Here's the Messiah. The promises haven't been lost. The one who will fulfill them is here. Uh, and we'll, we're going to tease that out uh, more next next week. As to why is the father put it into the background? Why is the mother shifted to the front? What is it about the birth of Jesus that, that ties all this together? But for today, we come to the last point. The 14, 14, 14, why does it matter? And Matthew has this summary in verse 17 to help draw all this together. Israel has this simple sequence, Abraham and the time of promise, to David, the king of the promise, to the exile and the loss of the promise. But here's the next stage. With Jesus, it's the start of the final stage, the stage of fulfilment and complete completion, of the bringing together of all God's promises. See, the birth of Jesus begins the next and final stage, really, on earth of Israel's history. Friends, part of what this passage does for us is it's a reminder that we understand who Jesus is as we take in what has come before him. And one of the great features of Matthew's gospel is he will keep referring back to the Old Testament because Jesus is the one who brings that all to a climax and all to a head. So if if you're there and you're wanting to understand who is Jesus and you wanted to fill that out more, the Old Testament fills out that history, builds that picture up. And this genealogy has given us glimpses into key parts to look into. But just as important as the Old Testament is for understanding Jesus, as you understand who Jesus is, it works back the other way as well. Those great mysteries. Why did God make a promise, things go up high and then crash? Why did God rescue his people, give them laws to follow that they couldn't and needed something more. So as you understand Jesus, the Old Testament will become clearer. So uh, keep working hard at understanding who Jesus is. I think at the end of the day, uh, we come to this passage, we look at Jesus, we look at his background. It's motley, isn't it? There's all sorts in there. And if you were to tease out all those names individually, you find Jews or Israelites, you find Gentiles, the nations, all people. What is the promise of Jesus? All who come to me will be saved. It's a reflection of his family tree. The gracious promises of God are being fulfilled. If you want to look forward and where is our hope, where does our life sit, the hope in the promises of the Lord Jesus who died and rose again to save us. 
Now, the history was checkered and difficult. They come together in Jesus. Our history continues to be difficult and checkered. Uh, But as the prophet said, uh, a root will rise up. From this stuff that's cut down and gone bad, new life will spring. And so as our life, as we struggle in our life but keep trusting in Jesus, we know that that new life will fully come to pass as we look forward to the day when Jesus returns. And it might feel like God's slow in keeping his promises, but that's what it felt like for the Jews as well. And God kept his promises in the Lord Jesus. He brought his king, his forever king, who conquered death, who rose again, and will give new life to us, who will turn to him and put our trust in him. There's no need to cover up the dirty background or the the, the unsavoury bits in the history. But there is need to come to the Lord Jesus, to come to him who is the fulfilment of God's promises, to come to him who died to bear God's wrath, to open that door that we might enter into his family. And as I said, if you had the privilege of entering into his family and putting your faith in Christ, uh, this genealogy takes us back, reminds us of the character of God, that he's a God who promises and fulfills and delivers on his promises and that we can continue to read the Bible, learn of him, and as we read into the New Testament, We can rest on those promises, knowing that God will bring them about, even through the ups and downs and the struggles that we face. Let me lead us in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though genealogies and family trees are not the thing many of us like to spend time in, uh, we thank you for the reminder this morning of the history of the Lord Jesus and his genealogy, the history of your people Israel and the history of all the nations. We thank you that your promises come together in the Lord Jesus. Father, help us to look to him, whether it be reading the Old Testament and looking to see how that's fulfilled in Jesus or through looking at Jesus and getting to know him better. Uh, It opens our eyes to understand the Old Testament. Father, help us to stand confidently on your promises and your word and look forward to the fulfilment of them at the end of the days when Jesus returns. We pray this in his name. Amen.